What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the Free Parking Show with your hosts, Amos, Rich, Ryan, and Peter. Four sports journalists cover the world of sports with the utmost professionalism, or as much as they can muster after five beers. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Free Parking Show. It is Wednesday night, so you know what that means. It is time for the game show of Par 4 Discourse. But first, before we go any further, let me introduce myself and my co-host. I am Amos Conway, with always Ryan Moreland, Peter DeOpola, and Rich Pyle. And our special guest host tonight, Chris Fetter from DolphinsSidelineReport.com. Make sure you make your way over there. Check out some of the articles. Got a lot of great ones. How's everybody doing tonight? Doing great. Ready to kick Peter's ass. Doing good. Oh, all right, all right. <laughs> Damn. All right, so. <laughs> all right, we will start with our special guest host team of Chris and Ryan. Why don't you guys go ahead and let us know your team name and the punishments. All right, so our team name... Uh, I'll let Chris say, because Chris came up with I think it's pretty good. All right. Team name for tonight is the... Oh, my God. I actually forgot what our team name was. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our team name tonight is uh, Joseph Randall's legal team. (laughs) Oh, we have a team motto, too, tonight, actually, which is we didn't have much time pre- to prepare because of all the trouble that Chris or that Joseph has gotten into, so we're a little bit behind on work. But our, our punishment our, our punishment for tonight, I'm putting right. it up, I'm putting oh, yeah, it up right now on the, on the Twitter uh, so you guys can see it, and I'll put it on the Facebook, too, for everybody that's listening. Uh, but you have to change... Your uh, Facebook profile picture for one week. Both of you do if you lose tonight. For one week, you change Brian, your Brian, I can take this one. Oh, you got if it up? Since I forgot the last one. All right, this picture, I found out that you both are uh, Patriots fans. So this picture is a beautiful, beautiful picture of Ryan Tannehill riding a dolphin over a beautiful wave with a majestic cat as the sun behind him. <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it up on Twitter oh, and man. Facebook. I'm putting it up on Twitter right now, so all the fans can see. And so Peter and Rich, if you want to check it out, you can go look at it. Uh, I sent it to Amos today, and and he was a fan of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, brutal, but hilarious. <laughs> 
All right. <laughs> All so, right. Peter and Rich, guys, please introduce your team and punishment. Go ahead. All right. Our team name is Jabroni Crushers because uh, you are a bunch of jabronis. Chris, <laughs> I, I, I'm not talking, I'm talking about Ryan. Just to talk a lot of trash. I, I really don't know you that well, but Ryan's a jabroni. And then if you guys lose, you get this thing. Sin Handle O'Connor's uh, version of Nothing Compares to You. Uh, you can find the lyrics online. It's a pretty popular song. So can't wait to hear you guys sing it tonight at the end of the show. I think I know that one. I think I know some of the words at least. <laughs> I actually know none of the words. You better not. I've never I've heard of it. Look that up. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both there. <laughs> All right, guys. So, are we all ready to get going? Have we all studied and prepared? Oh, yeah, definitely sure. ready. Yeah, sure. All right. Absolutely. So, yeah, some good news and bad it. news. Yeah. And we'll start off with the bad news. All the questions I sent you are not the ones that I'm going to ask. The good <laughs> news, I'm just choking. <laughs> Don't <Great>. panic. <laughs> <laughs> We will start off with question one, which is at the age of 35, Jose Bautista is demanding a five-year, $150 million contract from the Toronto Blue Jays. Should they pay up or should they let him walk? And Chris, you being our special guest host, I will let you take this one first. Followed up by... All right. Sorry. Uh, Thank you. All right. Um... I mean, honestly, this is just the absolute reason why I love baseball. When you have someone in their late 30s demanding that they want a $150 million contract. I mean, honestly, in my opinion, I'd trade him. You got him for $14 million right now. I really like Batista. Uh, I mean, he's a great power hitter. But at 35, he's nearing the end of his career, and there's much bigger needs on that team than just having Batista. Um I mean, even at, you know, in his contract, he'd be 40 to 41 years old playing. Uh, I just think he's going to drop. I mean, he's a 200 hitter. I mean, he's great. This year was incredible, 40 home runs. But I just really do not think he is at all worth that price. All right. Great answer. Rich, what do you got? Uh, Yeah, I think maybe – I think Toronto should at least hold on to him till the end of this year and then see what he does before renegotiating his contracts. I know this is the year of that, that five-year deal he signed the last offseason, but at 35, I can see it from both sides. I can see him wanting to get that one last paycheck before he retires. So, of course, he's going to do money. Some of his stats were okay, but that, but at that age, I think it was somewhere around the $30 million a year mark. I don't know that he's the risk regardless of how great of a season he had last year. Because, you know, baseball is such a interesting sport in that aspect. And from the Blue Jays' side, there is no way in H-E double hockey sticks that I'm going to pay a 35-year-old uh, $30 million a year for the for five or six years. It's just not going to happen. I kind of agree with what Chris, fed, uh, Chris said, either hold on to him or trade him. Uh, one of the names that was being tossed around for a possible replacement was Shane Victorino. So, I mean, you, there's other options out there, other needs. 
but at 35 150 million at a, for a 35 years old or 35 year old and not, not a chance I would give him that kind of money All right, great answers from both sides on this one. But the point is going to go to the Jabroni Crushers to start off the game. Let's go. Oh, okay. okay. So when I get it, nobody's going to be negative. I like the enthusiasm. Boom! All right, moving to question. <laughs> moving on to question two. Well, I'm happy we got that one. There is a large split between. All right, with the start of the NFL Combine, there is a large split between analysts and coaches and fans of whether the Combine is actually any kind of use or if it hurts players' stock. Do you do you think that the Combine is helpful in teams finding their next guy? And with Chris going first last time, we'll have Pete go first this time, followed up by Ryan. All right. <clears throat> I don't think honestly, um, that this helps teams find the next guy. And I say that for a number of reasons. One, there are cases where people have jumped up and they have held teams out. But when you think about what they're really doing there, it's it's like skill drills, athletics. Uh, how fast can you run a 40-yard dash? How, how, um, what's your long jump? How high can you jump? Uh, and then you, ha- you do have some throwing and catching and, and running and, and cone drills, things, things of that nature. But in my opinion, I don't think it really works because we've seen guys that have done really well in the uh, the combine. You look at Jamarcus Russell, who ended up being a big buff. Now, part of that could be because of his attitude, but teams, I feel like they look at too much of the, the physical tools. What what have they done on the playing field when they were in college? That, to me, tape tells more than a combine. Now, if you want to know how fast the guys are, how high they can jump, I get it. Maybe for a wide receiver, you want to see how fast they are how high they can jump if you want to have a speedy guy that can take away the defense. But in my opinion, I just don't see it really making much of a difference. And even Bill Belichick said that it's not a good idea. He uh, he pretty much said, um, I think I'm trying to find the quote, but he pretty much he pretty much dissed it, saying that you, you uh, don't want them. And here's what he said. Uh, I think that's a huge mistake for a lot of those players talking about the, uh, the players at the Combine. Uh, but I'm sure they have the reasons for doing it. We're training our players to play football, not go through a bunch of those February drills. And I agree with him because what you've done on the field since even high school has changed you for the NFL when you're that good. Because to me, throwing a football where there's no pressure in front of you, doesn't tell me anything. I want to see what happens when you're in the game and you're playing live. I don't care how fast you can run a 40. If you can't run a route, find a hole, uh, stop a stop a wide receiver tightness from getting by you. I, you know what? It just makes no sense to me. I think the I think the combine is a waste of time, in my opinion, and that's just how I feel. Yeah, for me, I'm gonna say yes and no. Great answer. I th- oh, sorry about that. I'm gonna say uh, yes and no here. Uh, I'm gonna say yes because they're this year they're You're inviting right. they're inviting uh, 332 players to the combine. Uh, and only 253 of these guys will get picked in the draft. So it, a lot of these guys haven't gotten a lot of exposure. They're guys from small schools that uh, NFL teams haven't gotten to look at yet. So it gets them exposure. They get to um, get a chance to, to improve their draft stock from maybe not being a drafted to being a sixth or seventh round guy. Um, but then mostly no here. Uh, I think a lot of these drills are heavily overvalued. The 40 comes to mind above uh, all else. Uh, 
Uh, think about it this way, though. How often do you see a non-wide receiver run 40 yards straight down the field? How often in a football game does a player only use his upper body strength? You know, if a guy's got, uh, you know, benches uh, 225 pounds 40 times, he's like, yeah, he's got a great upper body. But if he doesn't know how to anchor his butt, if he doesn't know how to work his leverage, he's going to be, be beat every single time. And the, just speaking of the 40, look at the top 10 best 40 times uh, in combine history. The three guys that pop out as, like, the stars that have actually gone on to do something is Darius Hayward Bay, who's had, like, an iffy at-best career, Jonathan Joseph, who's a two-time pro bowler, solid cornerback, and Chris Johnson, who has had an up-and-down career since he joined the league. You know, it's way overvalued. Those guys, anybody who runs a sub, you know, 4-3, gets in that 4-2 range, is instantly considered a a first-round draft pick for some reason. You know, that's what Chris Johnson, they expected him to be a second, a late second, early third round. And then he ran uh, that 4-2-4-40 time, and he ended up being uh, a first-round selection. Jerry Rice ran a 4-7-1, and he's the greatest to ever play the game, uh, especially at wide receiver. So that shows you, like, a lot of this stuff. Bring up guys, and I've looked at a lot of guys, but I think the one guy that embodies this the best is Vernon Golston. In 2008... He put one of the best uh, NFL combines that we've ever seen. He's a 266-pound guy. He ran a 4.6540, benched the 225 37 times. He vertical jumped 35 and a half inches. And then Golson has never recorded a single sack in the NFL. So that shows you, like a lot of these drills are just it's does not show anything about how they play football. It shows how fast the guy is, how strong his upper body is. Uh, but that doesn't tell you if he can catch the ball. That doesn't tell if he can run routes. That doesn't tell if he knows how to leverage his body, how, what his lateral quickness is. Um, a lot of these drills are, are really, really overvalued. Uh, so I think that a lot of it, it affects these guys' draft stock, which affects how much money they make long term. Um, you know, when guys that there are plenty of guys out there that'll run a little bit slower before he won't put up as much weight, but are a far better football player. All right, great answers from both you guys. <clears throat> On this one, I'm going to give the point to Joseph Randall's legal team. The answer yeah. I was looking for was a bit of a yes and no. I was a little surprised that no one hit on the interview process, which I find to be probably the most underrated part. So, after two <laughs> they questions, were about that we are all tied up at one apiece. Yeah. Yeah, to me, I mean, it's probably the most underrated. There's a big reason why a lot of these teams get comfortable with some of the players that they bring in. <laughs> All right. Some of Moving the questions they asked if you was question talking about was number was. three. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. All right, moving on to question number three. We all know baseball has the three-strike rule ban for PEDs, but should leagues implement a three-strike rule for multiple offenders to ban them from the game and try to preserve the integrity of the sport? And this time, Rich, you're going to take it first, followed up by Chris. So you're talking about all sports. Should all sports consider a three-strike rule for banning? Is that what the question yes. was? I, I just misunderstood. My I'm, I'm a little spotty on my – okay. So 
if they implemented the strike rule, like half the players in the league would already be out of the league. So, I mean, I, I guess all they would have to do is draft more players. That's a, that's a tough one to call. You're looking at a multi-billion dollar industry with uh, the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA. You know, people don't pay to see the the backups that come to see the stars play. I just don't know that implementing a, a three strikes and you're out rule is the right way to go as far as making the money is concerned. The integrity of the game, there's always going to and on the on the the side supporting the three strike rule the integrity game uh, the integrity of the game is always going to be there because you're still going to have quality players playing it up to me it's a tough call honestly i'm going to say no at this point just for the simple fact that like i said this is a, a multi-billion dollar industry and if you start kicking players out of the league and they're like selling tickets it's just it it's just not good uh, from a business standpoint. All right. Very good answer. Chris, what do you got? Um, I'm just going to first start by saying this. I can, I hate this question. I was originally sent a question about UFC. Super excited to go into it. Moreland, 45 minutes outside of starting the show, sends me a question about the three-strike rule. <laughs> Um, but honestly, this is such a double-edged sword. Sword. I mean, in in short answer, no. I, just because this, if it's just a strike, I mean, a misdemeanor, a speeding ticket. I mean, anything could start revoking these players from playing. Uh, I mean, the guys that are messing up are usually ending up out of the league, anyways. I mean, you look like at a guy like Justin Blackman. Uh, I mean, who I'm defending tonight, Joseph Randall. You know, right now. He, He's had a couple stealing incidents, a couple speeding incidents. He's a young guy. He's going to make mistakes. And, you know, if a team can think that they can build him into a, a grown man, then I don't think they should be kicked out of the league. I mean, the person I think of the most is Pac-Man Jones. And, uh, I mean, you know, this guy went from biting strippers and fighting bouncers in a club to, I mean, being on a good team, growing up. And, uh, I mean, he could have been kicked out of the league for that. And I really don't think that a police record should define a player. So, I, I just, I think there's already enough rules implemented that the players that are getting in trouble are getting in trouble. All right. <clears throat> Both great answers. Yeah, man, it's a tough one. I, I'm gonna go ahead and give the point to Joseph Randall's legal team, bringing up the uh, you bringing up Pac-Man, Joseph Randall, things like that. It was a very good point, especially with misdemeanors. It was a very good point. So Joseph Randall's legal team takes the lead, two to one. And now moving on to oh, I just kinda, question numero. Can I just four. have a quick comment on that? With I, 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 I don't want to like. I don't want to contest the answer or whatnot, but a lot of the players that do get, uh, like, suspended and whatnot, they end up digging their own graves. And that was a great point Chris brought up. If you look at Joe Frandel, can't get on a team. You look at Greg Hardy, may not be able to get back on a team. So it's kind of I, – I, it was a great question, by the way, but I, I just still, you know, wanted to reiterate that, you know, the fact that Chris made the great point, uh, great, great uh, win, by the way, there that, you know, these players do end up digging their own graves in that aspect. 
Yeah, no, thanks. I it, completely agree. It's just a. I just. No. no, you're all right. Go ahead, Chris. Oh no, it's it's just a it's a rough thing to go through. I mean, even now you think about the Ray Rice original suspension, like. There's so many, like, that should have been so much more than what it is. And, I mean, if you're even talking about a police record, I mean, you know, there's players that get away with things that they do. I don't think it should be judged. I, I really like when teams get involved in things like that. And I just think, especially with Roger Goodell, it's just a slippery slope of what the strike rule would become. <laughs> All right. So, to question four. With its recent self-ban from the tournament, the University of Louisville has been receiving a lot of demand for the dismissal of our men's basketball head coach, Rick Pitino. Do you think that they should dismiss him, or do you think it's something that he had really no clue about and nothing should be done to him? And since Peter went last time first, Ryan, you will go this first and followed up by Pete. No, absolutely not. Um, <clears throat> the, the, here's my like. Rick Pitino didn't do anything that any coach at a big basketball college is doing or has done. Yeah, I mean the the the, the violations with that he went through with going through the violations of recruiting. We saw like Jim Beheim went through the exact same thing. Uh, they all do it. Like you know, everybody wants to say that all oh, my coach doesn't do it. Duke fans like, oh, Coach K doesn't do that. Yes, he does. West Virginia fans want to say Bob Huggins doesn't do that. Yes, he does. All the guys that go to these big colleges, all of them do this. All of them have the recruiting problems uh, and and whatnot. The thing is, Rick Pitino is one of the best coaches in basketball, uh, bar none, pro or college. He's an excellent coach. You know, he has a record of 394 and 131 at Louisville uh, and – He's an excellent coach, an outstanding coach. You're not going to find another coach like this. Yeah, he did. You know, he spent more time on the phone with a couple recruits than he probably should have. The not the problem isn't here uh, that Rick Pitino's doing it. The problem is he got caught. And, and then you have the stuff, the other stuff going on around the university with uh, you know players supposedly getting uh, papers written for them or tests taken for them and stuff. If you think that doesn't happen at every major college with basketball and football, you're out of your mind. It happens. I mean, do you think that some of these guys, uh, these gigantic defensive ends, and you hear him in an interview and he doesn't even know how to say the word ask properly, you think he is is writing long papers on uh, Shakespeare? Do you think he is taking that economics class? No, he's not. Do you think... You know they have to do what they have to do to get these uh, to get these players into the program because it's so much money for the school when you get a, a game-changing player. It's unbelievable amount of money going to your school. So they do what they have to do, and they do it to keep their job. Everybody knows the coaching market and how awful it is to be a coach. You have no job security whatsoever. So they do what they have to do, and he's doing exactly what every other coach is doing. And so no, I don't think Rick Pitino should go at all. He's an excellent coach. And he, uh, he's an excellent coach, and he shouldn't be lose his job just because fans think he should. He's an amazing coach, and and they would not find anybody better to replace him because everybody that's better than him has long standing jobs in the in the NCAA. All right, very good answer, Pete. What do you got? 
Well, I was kind of surprised by Ryan's answer there, to be honest with you. I thought he said he was, should be fired, and I think he should be fired because you look at the scandal, obviously the escort scandal is, is pretty huge, and I, and I know Ryan said that every major college has their flaws and when it comes to recruiting, but I think when you have escorts, that to me, not this isn't saying that having people write papers or take tests doesn't cross the line, but this is pretty bad, and this is also morally wrong because the you're using school funds, which I would assume their school funds are from the boosters, to use prostitutes to help recruit. And I think that there's something very wrong with that because not only does it shine a bad light on the basketball program, but the school too. Because if they're allowing funds that the school uses to be used to buy prostitutes, or, or I don't know, I guess you could buy their services, which I guess you would call, I, you know, I don't know, but that, that's wrong. And I and I'm glad that Louisville did the self-imposed ban. I thought it was the right thing to do, but the best thing to do would be to do that and fire Rick Pitino. And I think to me, why, why the school did, why the school did the ban was because they're trying to maybe cover up, I'm sorry, cover up for more things instead of allowing the NCAA to step in and do more investigation. And, you know, it's just, I get, you know, people, they have tests taken for them, papers written for them, but I don't think it should be that way. And this whole idea that schools do that, it's just ridiculous. And part of the problem I have, part of the re- reason I have an issue with that too is that some of these guys aren't going to go become pros in the NBA, or if they are, they're not going to, let's say they don't last. Well, then what are they going to do when they get out in the real life? Colleges should be holding their students responsible and making them do their work and not allowing these head coaches to run around and pull something like this. And I don't, I don't agree with it and I don't like it at all. And I think, it, I think he should be fired and, Frankly, this not only, but the whole escort thing, that kind of puts a stain on Louisville in my, in my opinion. If I'm the president of that school, I'm not going to feel comfortable having a guy like Rick Pitino walking around knowing that the school I run and having, you know, what, what happens if a young kid goes to this school and his mom's like, well, I don't know if they're the ones you're going here anymore because he uses woman to sell the school. And I, I don't like that. Well, a school in the program, and I think he should be fired and. If he is, it's deservingly so. And I don't feel bad if he gets fired. You made, you made a stupid decision. You got caught doing something illegal. You should be fired. And he's lucky he hasn't been arrested for this either. I'm going to be honest with you. Hookers and hook shots. <laughs> <laughs> both very good, strong answers for both sides. <laughs> but I'm going to give this one to uh, Peter and the Jabroni Crushers. I agree. I think he should be fired, and I understand the fact that he's probably not doing anything that any other coach is getting, you know, has gotten caught with. I thought Jim Beheim should have been fired. I think he should be fired too, because you know he knew something about it. There's no way anything goes on with that basketball that he doesn't know about. And I just, yeah, to me, I think they should get rid of him. I mean, Joe Paterno wasn't even untouchable. And that actually is going to segue us. Yes, I use that word. Into our fifth question. Recently, I think it was just a couple days actually, the University of Tennessee and 16 head coaches held a pep rally in defense of the school's culture with previous allegations coming up. Do you think this will leave a lasting effect on how Tennessee is viewed in the, the college athletics and academics? Right, or Chris, go ahead and take it first. Um, 
Well, so I've really started researching this story as of today. I mean, I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to it. I've, I've heard what exactly is going on. And I, I really don't think that a program should be put as a bad program because of something that happens. I mean, if what the accusers did was true, that falls on the individual. It doesn't fall on the program in the school. I mean, regardless of whether it's Tennessee, Nevada State, I mean, any of these schools, this is becoming a real problem in college. And I think the way that a school gauges it and fixes it will really show on what that school has done. Uh, I mean, so far from what I've seen, the volunteers are handling it completely um, and very good. I mean, I've, I've seen that the coaches have talked to the students individually, um, given given the pe- the uh, pep rally and things like that. So, I mean, it's an awful, awful situation, but it seems like Tennessee is handling it extremely well. And I don't think that, you know, there's been a lot of accusations on Tennessee so far with all this paint Manning thing coming out. And uh, I just don't think it's your cloud people's view of what they have of Tennessee. Good answer. Rich, how about you? Uh, I'm going to say no, and I don't really know much about what was going on, but I will tell you this. I've got family uh, from my dad's side of the family all through the state of Tennessee. Uh, they're Titans fans, but they, they absolutely, you know, they, they like the Titans, but they wouldn't be considered diehard Titans fans like they are for the University of Tennessee. Go Titans! Their the love for that team runs so much deeper. Well, <laughs> what, what I'm saying is their love runs so much deeper for that, that school than it does for a professional team. I even asked my cousin, I said, so what do you think of the Titans? He's like, well, I like them, but, you know, Tennessee's it's they've been around much longer than the Titans had. And for, for that school to do that, it was, you know, kind of like, hey, we're sticking, you know, we're sticking together. And I've talked to aunts, uncles, all like I said, all kind of relatives, and they're they're supporting the school 100%, no matter what allegations come up. So for that state itself, I don't see it being an issue. But, you know, if you look from the outside looking in, there may be an issue. But it, it's just, I, it just, it is what it is. And there, there's not going to be an issue from the actual people that live in the state of Tennessee, so... All right. <clears throat> Very good answer from both sides. Uh, Joseph Randall's legal team is going to get the point for this one, I like bringing up, especially going on the things going on in Nevada. And it is, it's becoming a, a very, very large issue. And I don't know if any of you guys actually listened to any of the press conference, but the University of Tennessee uh, women's basketball coach basically was trying to defend it and saying that like okay well if you come here then you don't know to be going out by yourself and stuff at night which is a little bit of a an awkward point to point out when you're trying to fit in school but it's a good point because it is about anywhere you go anymore and i thought that was an excellent point to bring up go chris all right so after five questions we are joseph Rangers legal team has three straight. and the jabroni crushers at two <laughs> All right, moving on to question number six. With the recent FIFA scandal, they will be electing a new president soon. I think it's supposed to happen Friday, actually. Many think it's a PR stunt that nothing will change as far as corruption. Others think the culture will change. What stance do you guys take on this? Peter, go ahead and go take it first. 
Well, <clears throat> I got to be honest with you. <clears throat> I don't think it's going to change anything. <clears throat> Obviously, during the reign of Seth Blatter, uh, is it, did I say his name right, or, or did I butcher that? Yeah, it, it's something like that. <laughs> it's European. All right, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know that there's been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of, Scandals under his watch. This this probably just being one of the worst ones. But when you have bribery and racketeering, and and there was a the, the, the Qatar bribery scandal was one of them. Then there was the allegations that some of the World Cups were bought. It it makes you wonder what really goes on in the FIFA organization and and how far this corruption goes. Just because you're naming somebody else doesn't mean things are going to change. And I'm going to compare this sort of to, why don't we compare it to like the, the mob or the mafia? You have uh, family, or, or I guess we call it like one of the family or friends, this group of people in the mafia, it can be any, you know, any nationality in any country. When the head of that, the head of the mafia or the mob goes to jail, it's not going to cease operating. The next person in line will do the exact same corrupt things the person before them did, and so on and so forth. The only way you can stop this from happening is by having by having auditors go in and just and maybe you just have you fire everyone and get a whole new board of directors. But the problem is in a business like FIFA, there's the corruption. I think that people are always going to be okay with corruption because soccer is such a big sport that people aren't going to care if there's things going on behind the scenes. But when it comes to the light, people seem to care. But it's sort of like one of those things. Like if no one sees you do it, if no one sees you sees that you did it. It means you didn't do it. It's sort of like, I think, the way people think sometimes. And just because this guy's going away doesn't mean that things are going to change. I think FIFA's still going to have probably quite a long time of scandals because, like I just said, it, it, might, it probably wasn't just him involved in the scandals. I'm sure whoever's replacement is might have had a hand in some of the scandals going on, too. And even if they bring somebody from the outside, how do we know that they're not already being groomed to be a certain way? Like they're they're being told if you want to be president, you have to do the same things the guy before you did, but just just don't get caught. And there's there's an article online on TotalProSports.com of the ten biggest FIFA scandals during his era. Think about it; that's the ten biggest ones. What about the ones that didn't make the list? So I, I just don't trust the next person in line, and I think FIFA's going to have problems for years to come unless they can find somebody. Way outside the organization, that's squeaky clean, that has nothing to do with this because we're going to still see bribery. I wouldn't be surprised if we see match fixing, uh, racketeering. I wouldn't be surprised if there's illegal gambling rings involving the head people that want matches to be thrown so their friends can win money. It's just ridiculous. And I think FIFA needs a whole reboot. Otherwise, I, I just don't trust the FIFA organization in general. Very, very good point. Very strong. <clears throat> Ryan, what do you got for me? <clears throat> what Peter said is 100% right. Uh, you know, this doesn't change anything. The FIFA is more corrupt than getting back alley loan sharks. It, it, he said it like 100% right. Comparing it to the mobs is a good comparison. <laughs> you know, we talked uh, two weeks ago. We sat down and we talked with uh, Steve Cunningham, uh, two-time world champion boxer, and he talked about the corruption in boxing. And I think that you know, and everybody I think has heard about that, but I think that soccer might be the most corrupt sport in the world if you look at it. The FIFA, they had, they have a paper trail where South Africa, uh, it's the um, 
He's the leader of the South African Football Association. Uh, it, he sent $10 million to the secretary, of the, like the head secretary uh, of Treasury uh, for FIFA. And they have the paper trail of that $10 million going there. And then, right after that, they were announced to be the host country. And they have proof or suspicion of this happening all the way back through 1990. 1990. And it could have been happening before that. Probably was. So this isn't even – it's normal at this point. And and for all of that that they found, 14 people were fired. None of them uh, in the upper levels of FIFA. So then you have the, the whole match-fixing thing that, that started to come to light in 2013. Over 680 matches in 30 countries uh, were said to have sus- uh, a strong suspicion, at least, or proven that they were fixed or uh, attempted to be fixed. And that was in the World Cup. Uh, all across the European leagues, the Euro Cup, MLS, uh, and all over uh, the world, ten people were fired or banned for that. None of them in the upper levels of FIFA. The, I mean, this is changing the president would be like saying if you have your county treasurer is stealing money from your county, and you think that you know Donald Trump getting elected is going to change that. Like it's it's not going to change it at all. Everybody in this game's corrupt. Uh, from small levels all the way up to the top. Uh, So changing one guy is not going to change that. I mean, you have – it would be impossible, I think, at this point to change it or an incredibly long process to weed out all the people that are involved in this. It's a giant problem. This is nothing more than a PR stunt, Uh, absolutely nothing more. It's not going to change anything. This kind of stuff's still going to be going on. And remember, when all this stuff came out about the match fixing, it's 680 matches in 30 different countries, and it blew over in like a week. We were talking about LeBron James and Tom Brady, you know, again that next week. I mean, it went away so fast. It's just, it's unbelievable the kind of corruption, and this is nothing but a PR stunt. Oh, man. <clears throat> very, very good answers. This is a tough one. Hmm. All right. I'm going to go with the Jabroni Crushers on this one because I agree that it's something, and I think Ryan started to allude to it, was when that Pete said, you really, you got to reboot everything. You got to start from scratch and build the way up, and getting an outsider who might be squeaky clean to come in is not going to change anything because even if he's squeaky clean, comes in, he's just going to turn corrupt. Because money talks and soccer is the largest sport in the world. It's football. <laughs> My apologies. Bernie Madoff and me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving on to uh, question number seven. With the N- NHL trade line nearing, what team do you think needs to improve via trade to make a postseason run. Rich, I'm going to have you go first. (laughs) This is the one question I have absolutely no idea about, so I'm just going to say the Dallas Stars are sitting (laughs) on top. That's the homer pick. Then bring in another score, and I'm just going to leave it at that. I I have absolutely no idea. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Chris. Yeah, All right, so I'm going to – three in a row, right? But uh, So I'm going to stick with Florida teams on this completely and just go with the Panthers and the Lightning. Uh, I mean, for the Panthers, this has been an excellent 
season. I mean, they they won 38 games in 2014, and as of right now, they have won 59 games this season. And, uh, I mean, these seasons are few and far between for them, so their main priority has got to be to win right now. They're 0-2 against their current Eastern playoff matchup, which would be Boston, and their offense has been a, a struggle against elite teams. Uh, I love the Panthers' defense. I love their goalkeeping. And I think by adding a score wherever they can get one, I think this team really has an opportunity to turn heads when they're going for the Cup. And uh, for the Lightning, it's all about getting back to the Stanley Cup. Um, I'm a huge Red Wings fan, so, I mean, (laughs) Steve Iverson being with the Lightning, I will follow everything he says to the T because he's going to do it right. Uh, The offense is... So talented. I mean, Stamkos isn't going anywhere. Um, they've been trying to actively trade players for a while, and I think just adding a defenseman maybe could make that team a true playoff contender and someone who's battle-tested. I mean, someone who made it to the Stanley Cup just last season. wonder who's going to win All this right. one. All right. Well, you guys made it real tough on this one. <laughs> I'm actually going to give this one to Rich. <laughs> Because there is one reason. I simply ask for team, not teams. Oh, that's weak. Oh, that's... Oh, it's yes, not weak. I'll take it. That is the weakest of the week. I just asked for team, teams. not teams. That's the weakest of the week. Uh, yes. Hey, give me a break. Can I throw it down? I take it back what I said about soccer being the most corrupt sport ever. This show is the most corrupt sport ever. <laughs> okay, Bernie Madoff. Yeah, that's... Well, listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on. I, asked, I said team, not teams. <laughs> that means he went above and beyond the Well, I think the, the entire East needs a score, but I like all their defenses. <laughs> Are we done? Do we have anything else to say? <laughs> Boo. No. No. Uh, okay, that's going to be all right. So, uh, Guest host to, Roger Goodell right, with us you. tonight. Number eight. <laughs> hey, all right, listen here, Bernie and the Fewer. You both just keep quiet. <laughs> all right, number eight. <laughs> <laughs> with spring training beginning it's a sign of fast approaching new season in the mlb who's your way too early favorite to win the world series ryan you go first all right uh vegas just started just put out their odds recently uh and they have the cubs at four to one odds and they have no other team in the single digits uh with la and houston at 10 to one odds uh, so they, obviously they believe in the, the pitching staff, uh, the Chicago Cubs, and they do have an amazing pitching staff. But just remember what happened uh, last season. You know, we get to the, towards the end of the, the end of the season. Everybody thought the Mets, including myself, the Mets were going to uh, um, win that World Series because of the out, outstanding pitching staff that they had. And Kansas City's hitters came out and, and absolutely proved them wrong. So I'm actually I'm going against uh, the grain of thought here. I'm going with a team that I think has some of the best hitting uh, from top to bottom out of any squad, and I think that's the Boston Red Sox right now. Uh, as for the the um, the odds, Vegas has them at 12 to 1 odds right now, so they're you know in that like third place area as far as the odds go. This is David Ortiz's last year. 
but he's a designated hitter. He doesn't have to play out in the field. He, you know, he's coming in just to hit, and that's it. And he's still, even though he's getting up there, last year, 3,700 home runs, 108 RBIs, and a 360 on base percentage, which led his team. You also got guys like Alexander uh, Bogertz, who had an outstanding season, batting 320 last year. Uh, Mookie Betts, Dustin Pedroia, uh, Alejandro de Aza, who had ball hitting in like the 290 areas. Outstanding hitters on this team uh, that are going to, I think, you know, I think that gives them a huge leg up on anybody that they play because they have such a good, uh, you know, batting and so good offensively. And then on the other side, you look at the, they have a pretty solid pitching staff, especially for an AL team. Uh, and I think that it's only going to get better. David Price, you know, kind of coming back, that's definitely going to help them. He's an outstanding pitcher. Uh, you have Wade Miley, you have, who had a, a good season last year. Uh, Koiju Yorhara, I'm not going to, I'm butchering his name, but uh, as a closer, coming out 25, 25 saves last year. He had a really good year, and not a lot of people are talking about him, but he had a lot of good uh, late-game late action for this team. Um, this is a team that I think could have a really good season this year. They have all the weapons it takes, and you know we saw Kansas City do it last year and prove that hitting can – or it, the great equalizers, like you pitcher can be awesome, but if we can get a bat on it, it doesn't matter. And I think that that's going to uh, play out again this year. I think that you're going to see the Chicago Cubs make the World Series. I think you're going to see Boston make the World Series. and But I think Boston's bats are going to uh, prove superior to uh, Chicago's pitching. And Big Poppy rolls out in style. All right. Very good answer. Pete, what do you got? Well, I was thinking the Red Sox, but... And I, I think Ryan made some great points there, but I'm going to go with the New York Mets. And the reason I say that is because they're retaining a lot of their team. They have one of the probably one of the best pitching staff in Major League Baseball right now. They got my hometown hero, Matt Harvey, there, uh, sitting part of Connecticut. Then you got Zach Wheeler, Syngard. You got Cologne, who can pitch or come out, who can start or come out and release. Uh, so you got those guys. And remember, the Honda didn't play in the World Series last year. There was the uh, he, he played in the – I think he only made it through the Divisional Series, and when he got injured, um, he injured against the yeah, – he got injured against the – sorry, the Dodgers. And I thought that was pretty dirty of that person to do what he did to him. And I think that's what hurt them a little bit in the postseason because he is a good hitter. Uh, obviously, it stung. And part of the reason why I think they're going to make it back and win it is because – the way they lost it, it left a bad taste in their mouth. I watched most of the games for the World Series when I could when I wasn't away. And they were good at pitching. It's just that their hitting wasn't all that great when it, when it was needed. And I felt like they, they were young and a little bit inexperienced last year in the World Series. But now with the, with the World Series under their belt, I can see them going to the World Series and winning it this year. Now, the reason why I decided not to go to the Red Sox, and I'm going to put this in there really quick, is because David Price has not been proven to be a winner in the postseason. So until he can show me that he's good in the postseason, I can't take the Red Sox with the Mets. You got a really good depth on offense, and obviously with the, with their hitting, uh, great fielding, and you have solid pitching. So if their hitting can improve this year, uh, which I think it will, and their pitching stays the course, they'll win the World Series. 
I think the National League, uh, it's, it's a strong league, but I don't, I don't see the Dodgers making much noise this year. As far as the Cubs go, I think the Mets can still beat the Cubs. Then the American League side, I could see the Red Sox making the World Series, but I, I'm just not sold on them yet because we've seen, you know, we've seen other teams load up <clears throat> with talent and not be able to do anything. So until I see them win more games towards the end of the season and, and hopefully have no no issues late in the year, no drama or anything, then maybe I'll take them serious. But right now I'm taking the Mets to win the, whole, win the World Series experience. They want to go back and win it, the pitching, the hitting. I've got a good feeling they can do it this year, but we just have to wait and see. All right. <clears throat> Both very, very good answers. But at this point, it's going to Joseph Randall's legal team because, you know what? Not a fan of New York. I hate that state. I hate every team that breathes in that state. And the Red Sox were my early favorite a few weeks back when we talked about this. So I'm sticking with the Red Sox. I do. I think with all the hitters they've gotten, especially bringing in Pablo Sinval, I think it's going to be a very, very good season for them. And I think Big Poppy's got some magic left in him. Do you see how fat Pablo Sandoval looks heading <laughs> in the spring training? Oh, that boy I know, is dude. Big. <laughs> I didn't know if he was a baseball player or if he was an offensive guard. <laughs> He's just going to stand over the plate and hope someone hits him. <laughs> He's going to get walked one way or another. Even. <laughs> <laughs> He'll get his little rascal scooter out there and scoot his way to first base. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, in all serious note, though, the Mets, I I know they are coming off that World Series loss. I think they have a very, very good chance of getting back and getting in there. I just think the Red Sox are, I think with the leadership on that team, the great hitters that they've gotten, the pitching's upgraded. I I think their shot now is better than the Mets. I think the Mets still have a little bit of growing to do. All right, moving on to number nine and tied up 4-2-4. With free agency looming and the recent big names being cut, do you see a shift of power coming in the NFL, or is it just a smokescreen? And I believe, is it Rich, are you taking this one first, or is it Chris? I lost track. I don't know what, who, I, I don't know either. I'll go ahead and go since you brought it up. Uh, no. When has there ever been no, a power no, it, shift in the NFL due to free agency? <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, I got it. <laughs> well, dang. Get me going and then cut me off, why don't you? Uh, no, that's what I was saying. Yeah, Just go ahead, go ahead man. Sorry, I've had way too much to drink tonight. <laughs> no, when has there ever been a power shift over free agency in the NFL? We've seen free agents come and go. We've seen teams try to buy themselves onto a championship caliber team and it hardly never works out i mean you can get quality in the free agents but power shift no i mean look what indianapolis did went out and got uh andre johnson uh frank gore they didn't address the defensive side of the ball they they spent some money on them players and they wound up missing the playoffs altogether one of the most disappointing uh uh seasons for them in recent years and then if you look at our patriots they don't hardly go out and get free agent like big name free agents anymore. They build through the draft. The Packers they build through the draft. Uh, teams, you know that that just seems the way it's always been for teams with the highest success rate of you know staying constant contenders is getting your your value through the draft and then uh, kind of 
picking leftovers afterwards. All right, great answer. Chris, what do you got? Yeah, I got to I got to agree on that one. I mean, I truly pray for one. I mean, being in the AFC East is no fun at all. I mean, it's been 8 years since the Dolphins have made the playoffs. Um, I I mean, I've I've literally impregnated more women in 10 years than the Dolphins have playoff wins. And my <laughs> the mother of my child is listening. It's only one. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not sure if there's so much uh, power change as there will be. There's some good teams that are coming up that could get a lot better. I mean, you look at the Jaguars, you look at a team like the Rams, um, you know, these these teams could grow into, into playoff teams. I actually really am rooting for the Jaguars this year. I think uh, Dante Fowler will be healthy. Um, you know, they can get someone like Jalen Ramsey or uh, Vernon Hargraves in on that team and really change that whole defense dynamic. So uh, I, I do think there's up and coming teams, but no, I don't. I don't think there'll be a power change. I think your your Steelers, your Patriots, your Broncos. I mean, all these all of these teams can grow back into a playoff team. Great answers by both. Jabroni Crossers are going to get this point. Like the good points of bringing up the Colts going out and getting Andre Johnson and Frank Gore and just not address anything on defense and free agency. And especially bringing up teams building through the draft. I thought a very good point and bringing up the Colts. Always a great example. So through nine, we are Jabroni Crushers five, Joseph Randall's legal team four for the 10th and final regular question. Under Tyron Liu and recent quality wins, the big three in Cleveland have seemingly come together. If they continue to play well and stay healthy, could the Cavs find themselves on the other end of the finals this year? Pete, let you go first, followed up by Ryan. Well, I know we talked about this recently. If they could, um, if they could make the finals if they can win it, but I still don't think it's enough. The reason why I say that is because I, I think the Warriors are just too loaded right now, and we talked about this on Monday as well. They're playing with a chip on their shoulder, and you know Ryan brought up the point when he said whenever you hear people talk about this team, people like Charles Barkley and others just say, well, they're not that tough. They couldn't beat you know teams from the 90s and when, when I was in the league, but I think Golden State, in my opinion, just has too much on their plate to to, to lose the finals, I think they have a chip on the shoulder. They're going to want to go out and win it. Now, that's not to say the Cavaliers can't make it uh, comp- competitive. Because remember last year, they didn't have a fully healthy team. It's pretty much LeBron out there doing his thing by himself in the finals. Now, yeah, the big three is getting together. But do we trust them enough to be able to win a finals game when they're just coming together now? And that's not to be dismissive. It's just they haven't this, – this is probably the best they're playing together – since they put this team together, but I, I, I don't trust them because I, I, I just think Golden State's too tough right now. And the East, I think it's tougher than maybe we would give it credit for. So I'm not going to, so I think if they have to go, through, if they have to play some tough opponents, they might have to play some longer series than I would say Golden State has to because Golden State's just phenomenal at home and their record speaks for itself around the league. So no, I, I don't think Cleveland can find themselves out there on the other end of the finals this year. Even though they are playing well, they're getting some quality wins. I still think Golden State's the better team overall. 
and again, that's no disrespect to Cleveland. I just don't trust them. And remember, and like we said on the show, uh, Golden State has a lot. You know, they have a lot of people talking about them, saying they shouldn't have been in the finals last year. They shouldn't have won it. They got lucky. Blah blah blah. Well, I think even if Cleveland comes in healthy and better team than last year, I still think Golden State beats them because they have a lot of pride riding on the finals, assuming that they meet up. But Cleveland, I, I just don't trust them in the finals. It's just, you know, it's LeBron has his has had his issues in the finals. Cleveland's history of playoff success speaks for itself, too, um, not just for the Cavaliers, but other teams in Chicago, I mean, sorry, in Cleveland. So I, I just don't trust Cleveland sports, period, and I don't trust the Cavaliers at all in, in the finals to win it. All right, very good answer, very strong. Ryan, what do you got? I'm going to disagree here. I think the Cavaliers absolutely have a, a good chance uh, of winning the finals. If you look first thing um, at the road, you know, their uh, road to the finals, it's obviously much easier for the Cavaliers to get there with the talent that they have on that team. If they're healthy, uh, then it is for, for Golden State. Golden State has much tougher opponents. They're going to have to get through teams like the Spurs and, and OKC. And the Clippers that have talented, very talented rosters. I mean, so everybody knows that the West is stronger than the East right now. And the Cavaliers are going to, you know, they can, uh, they're just going to like cruise their way into the finals before they face a team that's really challenging for them. So then you have that point, which is it's going to be a much harder road for, uh, for Golden State. Uh, especially with that Spurs team. You know, that, that I would not be surprised to see the Spurs make the finals. That wouldn't shock me. But I'm going to say this, too. You look at last year, these two teams played. Uh, Timothy Mozgov was second on the team in scoring uh, for the finals. If you take out Kyrie Irving, who only played in one game, he had the second most points per game with 14. Uh, So he didn't have nearly as much help. So if this team stays healthy... There's no question that they have a chance. They still won two games last year with LeBron James basically doing it all by himself, playing 45 over 45 minutes a game, uh, dropping 35.8 points per game in that with uh, 13.3 rebounds and 8.38 assists. The guy almost averaged a triple-double triple double in the finals. An absolutely outstanding showing. I think a lot of people forget that is how awesome LeBron James played in the finals last year because he was doing it all by himself. I mean, you just look at the minutes, the way they're broken up here. Uh, Tristan Thompson was playing 41.1 minutes a game. That's what he averaged for the finals. And you look at like these guys that were playing outrageous minutes for the talent that they have. I'm in Shepard playing over 35 minutes a game is not what you want from that guy. You want to have Kyrie Irving and uh, and Kevin Love here. Now health is going to be, you know, the big question. But if they can stay healthy throughout the finals, there's absolutely no question that they can. Uh, they have a shot at at winning the finals. Uh, if they can take two games with LeBron James by himself, basically. Then they can take the series uh, with two, the other two members of the big three in Cleveland. Um, yeah, that's that's just like a, a bold hard fact. They have that kind of talent uh, to compete with this team if they're healthy. Great answer from both sides. But the point's going to go to Joseph Randall's legal team. I do think, personally, the Cavaliers have a great chance to be on the other end of that spectrum and bringing up, you know, they won two games with LeBron just winning 
or just being there. And then you have <laughs> the earlier the game, I do believe it was last week against Oklahoma City, where I don't think they were – not a lot of people had them winning. And recently, most recently with LeBron only scoring 12 points against whoever, I forget. And Kevin Love and Kyrie definitely stepping up. And if they stay healthy, I think they're going to be a very, very hard team to beat no matter who they face. So – Point is going to Joseph Randall's legal team. And after all 10 regular season I'm questions, we are tied up at five apiece. And right. as that goes, yep, <laughs> into our bonus question. Now, because we have a tie, I'm going to go ahead and give this to our special guest host on Joseph Randall's legal team. Do you guys want to go first or second, and then who wants to go first and second? I'll let you pick, Chris. You want to go first or you want to go second? Uh, I'll, we'll take second. We'll take second. All right. And All right, and then who's going to go first? I'll go last. On this uh, Ooh, I want it. I want it. I want it. Uh, Chris I'll can go. go ahead. Ahead. Right. I mean, I... Chris can go first on our team, and I'll go All second. Right. Rich, you want to go first? Okay. Yes, I, I want to go first. I want this question. So, <laughs> all right. Recently, the U.S. Women's National Team defeated Canada for the thirty-first straight time. I never did fact check that, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think the best streak by one team against another, as in so many wins or, you know, just so many years of not beating someone at a certain place? What's the most impressive to you? To me, it would be Rich. Notre Dame over Navy for 43 consecutive wins uh, beginning on October. 31st, 1964, all the way to October 28th, 2006. That is a lot of wins. That is a lot of years to continually beat the crap out of Navy. Uh, and they didn't beat the crap out of them. They pretty much blew them out out of 90% of those games by 30 to 40 point margins. So you have to say Notre Dame over Navy, 43 consecutive wins from 1964 to 2006. All right. Chris, how about you? All right. Well, I actually uh, read the question wrong, so my question <laughs> makes nothing of what – my answer has got a little screwed up, but I'm still going to take my team um, and just throw it out there. Hopefully Ryan's got this. Um, but mine has to be the 2008 to 2011 UConn girls and their 99 win home streak at home. Uh, I mean, that's just something that's absolutely incredible to me. I mean, plus their 91 win streak through 2008 till 2011. I mean, holds is one of the best division one records, but uh, I mean, the fact of winning 99 home games, beating out, uh, I mean, UConn, Stanford, Baylor, all these teams that have set that have set home game records against any team. Uh, that's just absolutely incredible to me. And to be fair, that answer is absolutely acceptable. That's a fantastic streak, and that's one that can't be ignored. Peter, what do you got? 
I'm going with Navy. I'm sorry, Notre Dame over Navy. Well, because when you have 43 straight wins, that's incredible. Uh, some of some of the ones, if you look at their history, it all began in 1964. Uh, Notre Dame shellacked Navy 40 to nothing in 1969. The Irish set is still standing single game school record of 727 total offensive yards and a 47 to nothing win. And just you have some of these. Just incredible games. In 1984, Notre Dame wins uh, on the last second field goal after being down 17 to seven. Uh, although, I guess their officials didn't notice that the play clock had expired before the ball was snapped, so they were lucky to even extend the streak there. Then in 1991, another set of Navy, earning them their 700th victory in, in total, and just just incredible. I mean, you to be able to do that 43 times in a row. It just it just breaks the heart of an opponent, and you look at I mean they pitched they pitched a good number of shutouts during the streak, and they finally lost in 2007 when they lost in triple overtime. Uh, they've had some they've had some other contests where they've lost to Navy, but they they've been able to beat them in the past five years. So you look at that, and that's really impressive in football, considering that Navy Navy has had some good teams and good programs and good players come through it. And I don't care how, how what the margin is between two teams. When you when you're a rival, you're gonna bring your, you're gonna try to bring your A game. And for Notre Dame to just completely just break their heart, you know, 43 times in a row, last second wins, overcoming deficits, it's just incredible. And I, to me, that's one of the that's quite the greatest streak by a team over another team in pro sports or just in sports history, not just pro sports, but in sports history, including college. So. I have to give my nod to that one. All right, very good. Ryan, how about you? What do you got? Well, we're setting a theme tonight. Uh, Peter and Rich uh, have the exact same answer I have here. Notre Dame over Navy, as they both said, 1964 to 2006, 43 consecutive wins over 43 consecutive years. Eight presidents have served during that stretch of time. Lyndon B. Johnson was in his first year as president uh, when Notre Dame started this streak. As a total, uh, through the, all of the times that they've played, uh, they're 76-12-1 against Navy, starting in 1927. 43 is obviously Notre Dame's longest streak against Navy. Navy's longest winning streak against Notre Dame is two. During that 43-game winning streak, Notre Dame scored 1,546 points. Navy scored 511. That is three times as many points. If you break it down to points per game, Notre Dame scored 35.9 points per game, um, where Navy scored 11.8 points per game during that stretch. Uh, as, Peter, as Peter mentioned, there was a lot of shutouts. There was, in fact, nine shutouts during, just during that 43-game stretch. That means that 21% of the time during that streak, they shut Navy out, and at one point they did it three years in a row. So there was a three-year stretch where Navy didn't score a single point against Notre Dame. Um, and adding insult to injury, also during this streak, seven of the years... Uh, do- during this streak, seven years, Navy had a record that was equal or better than Notre Dame at the end of the season. So sometimes they had a better team, uh, but still couldn't beat Navy or still couldn't beat Notre Dame. 
And and a hundred percent honestly, uh, if it wasn't for Charlie Weiss and him demolishing Notre Dame, just destroying them from the inside out, this streak would be at fifty two right now. And I know some people would say, well, well, Brian Kelly was there for their their most recent loss to Navy. He was, but he was that was in his first year with Notre Dame. He was playing with Charlie Weiss's team. Um, that that was the last time. If it wasn't for Charlie Weiss, I strongly think that they would be at fifty two wins right now, and the streak would be continuing. Uh, but it has to be Notre Dame versus Navy. We've never seen uh, a team that is teams that have played this much uh, that it's just been this one-sided. Oh man, guys made this one tough on me. Y'all hit home, home very close to my heart, and I appreciate that. As I am <laughs> a huge Notre Dame fan they are my team but we'll have to give the point to joseph randall's legal team bringing up the fact that charlie weiss has ruined that streak and that he single-handedly destroyed notre dame from the inside out that was a very very good point one that hits home to me i've never seen such good teams be badly coached and all that loss to navy the back really the losses Navy under him and then the one under Brian Kelly wasn't Brian. I would say not Brian Kelly's fault. That defense was terrible. That defense has got much better. And I'm going to shift towards Joseph Randall's Eagle team. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Woo! That's pretty funny considering Notre Dame lost each game by less than a point. But that's okay. I'll take the loss. You not seen the bowl games though against Brian Kelly did much better against Ohio State than what we're talking Charlie about Weiss did. winning streaks. Charlie Wise, okay, I so know we got Charlie Wise Bur- destroyed we get Notre Dame. Off. Hey, that was a good one, man. I had the stats. I ran stat deep <laughs> on that question. I had the ESPN research team back here. You want to talk to him? <laughs> he did nine shutouts. The point differential. <laughs> <laughs> The point differential is a lot of good points. All right, I'll sit. Yeah, the pre- I didn't know there was eight presidents, but it makes sense. Yeah, that's impressive, man. <laughs> eight presidents. How long do they have to change the profile picture for? Can I just sing a song? <laughs> no, man. It's, it's the picture, man. And it's just until uh, next week's show. Next week's <laughs> Wednesday I'll, I'll night. I'll sing anything. I'll sing literally any, anything. <laughs> No, it's not as good, man. As soon as oh, I was like, long. I was like, man, we could make like a a picture, like a profile oh. picture of just the dolphins. <laughs> and Chris immediately sent me back that picture, and I was like, that's the one right there. He had it ready. <laughs> oh, it seems a little. I had it ready rough. as soon as I thought of a punishment for a Patriots fan. Dang, it's just I one thought, week. <laughs> what better quarterback than the greatest in the AFC East? Oh, (laughs) shots fired. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm about to remove that win. (laughs) Dang, you can't remove a win. Win's a win. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I was... Call it a draw. Call it a draw. And win's already over. You can't call it back now. (laughs) Win's a win. (laughs) No, Avis can do what he wants. He can do what he wants. No, it's already out there. Win's a win. I will... 
All right, this I will say this: a week is very long to have Ryan Tannehill riding a dolphin with a cat in the sunset as your profile yes, picture. Thank you. All right, we'll do. How, I'll, about, I'll do, how about this? I'll, what about I'll a, mine up, a work I'll twenty-four mine hours up until Saturday morning? No, nah, twenty-four hours uh, is no, such I'll, a. I'll mine up for, we'll hold say on, hold on. Sunday. You can I'll, change it Sunday. Anytime on Sunday. I'll leave mine up. Listen, I will leave mine up until hours. Saturday morning. Saturday morning's my limit on that Dang. one, but I will change it now. If you guys agree to it, I will leave it up and take it down on Saturday morning when I get up. Of course, Pats fans would be sore losers, right? I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday morning, then. All right, Saturday morning. All right. I mean, you guys could just block him on Facebook and then not even change your pictures <laughs> for two days. <laughs> Heck, I may forget done. to change it back and leave it up the entire week. Yeah, I was about to say, that's what will end up happening, is they'll put it up and forget about it, and it'll be up there for a month and a half. <laughs> now, I don't believe there were Some any standards like, saying that you couldn't picture? edit the picture in your own way. No, you can't edit the picture. It has to be that picture. <laughs> well, now you're just adding, it. like, bullcrap rules. Just take the loss. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't lose. <laughs> You're trying to help him out, though, because you you're a about? Pats fan. You guys are in cahoots over here. Collusion! <laughs> Ryan Tannehill couldn't even catch a dolphin. <laughs> well, I don't think anybody can catch God, a dolphin. I have that picture. I have the picture up right now. And it is. Never seen me on a jet ski with a net. <laughs> it's got a lot going on in it. <laughs> it, it. Dude, it does have a lot. I sent it to my girlfriend today, and she was just like... She's like, that's really funny, but why the cat? And I was like, because it's the internet, babe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm though. Sure. Uh, so it'll be up. Look at Peter uh, Peter and Rich. They'll have it up there. We have put it on the Facebook and the Twitter, so you can check out the picture in question. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, so you should go check it out. Uh, big thanks to Chris Fetter of Dolphin Sideline Report for joining us tonight. Thanks a lot, Chris. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, yes. guys. I had a blast. I'm not Chris. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for listening, the guys. Uh, we have tomorrow. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do for tomorrow. We'll have something cooking, something special for you guys. And then, of course, don't forget Friday. Uh, the free-for-all gets the dynamic duo back. Pit, Rich and Peter will be there this week to talk some Walking Dead. Uh, so thanks for tuning in tonight. Uh, everybody have a good night. Thanks for listening to the Free Parking Show. Do we hear the boys live? Tune in every weeknight at 9 p.m. Eastern. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.